luggage, had a bounce, got to 50, went hard and low and straight to goal. The Lions have kicked five in a row. The ball is his. The moment arrives. Elliot kicks the goal. Collingwood have closed like the Grim Reaper. And they hold Carlton's heart in their hand right now. Welcome to AFL Nation. It shapes as a historic weekend on the AFL landscape at various stages. Our eyes will be drawn to Tasmania and the future. But as far as the here and the now goes, the starting off point for round seven is a ripper. St Kilda are ladder leaders and they are gathering a big band of believers. Port Adelaide are doing their thing. They're inside the eight. They come tonight to be tested and to have their system tested at the hands of of Ross Lyon. Friday night footy at the commencement of round seven under the closed roof of Marvel. It's St Kilda and Port Adelaide. Welcome to AFL Nation for Elders. Win the ultimate grand final weekend by opening an Elders prepayment account and for tyre power, your match date favourites for tyre safety. Jared Waitley with you. Was it just yesterday, Dwayne Russell, we were at the MCG calling Anzac Day? It's sort of all jammed together. Yeah, but footy, to quote Tommy Hafey, it's good and it's getting better right now. It's a great season to be alive and being part of it. Uh, So it's just so enjoyable to come back to the footy every time you know you've got to come back to the footy and see the next iteration of what St Kilda are going to give us and what Port Adelaide give us. And there's so many teams that are in the running this year. I mean, even all the way down to Richmond, uh, everyone's still alive and not so well, but alive at least. So you're leading the tips by about six, so we all bow down to your better knowledge. Yeah, playing. but you know the writer on that, don't you? I've Tell told me. you, haven't I? I? Do. You did them before the season started. I did all started. them before I the know. season started. It's so at started. some stage that. this year, I'll be run down like Vorog. Is it Vorog? It is Vorog. Yes. Look, I feel like Jared Healy, he told you at the outset, he's been welcoming everybody on board the St Kilda bandwagon. Yes. He was in vintage touch this week with the list, the list, the bloody list. One of his finest ever editorials. Jared, good evening to you. Oh, great to be here and I'm looking forward to seeing the system, the system, the bloody system. Uh, it's uh, Ross Lyon always talks about the audit. You get an audit every week. Well, I think that most AFL clubs get audited by St Kilda under Ross Lyon and whoever they're playing under Ross Lyon. He is the great AFL auditor because he plays a very, very difficult brand to move the ball against and uh, we're going to see just how Port Adelaide can do it with their list, list of the bloody list. Yep, and if you don't believe that, let's have a look at what happens at Carlton. So St Kilda leave trauma in their wake and yep. Port Adelaide will be looking to avoid that tonight. John is one of the stars of the, the Legends category of the AFL 23 game. John, welcome <laughs> back to footy. Welcome yeah. back to footy. It's good, isn't it? Good evening, everyone. Do you get... Tagged by Kane Corns. That everything. would be hilarious, wouldn't it? I heard you are. I think I don't handball. I think that's one thing oh, that, that right? doesn't uh, happen. Have you but seen your image? No, yet? I haven't. Oh, no, I haven't seen. I haven't seen anything. Is it Gary like, Moorcroft in it? Is he? <laughs> I hope so oh, as well. Look at this. Is there a golf cart in it as well that I get run <laughs> over by? But it's uh, yeah. That was a that was that was great to be part of that part of that list. And I think it's more something around the. You know, for for my kids to have and all that yeah, sort huh? of stuff and um and all that, for, it's, it's it's a good little honour to have. If only you'd played in the TV era, Jared, would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> I was pre I was pre black and white. That's right. The Swans were black and white back then, <laughs> were they, Jared? It's a terrific idea. This yep. is a, there's a great game in prospect. It is. I, th- I think it is. Tonight's it's going to be sensational. Both teams, you know, you have got Port Adelaide who will look like to attack, and then you have got the. The Saints that no one can break through at the moment. I'm just about done on the word audit. I must, I must admit, I've heard it for the last couple of years now, and uh, you know. But every every side has to every side has to work around what what St Kilda are doing. I, and and I understand the the audit aspect of it, and you do get you do get that week in week out. But from a from a St Kilda point of view, just the, they're they're tough, they're tenacious, and. They're, they're hard-working when it comes to their running ability within the side as the and collective. And they're exciting, John. They've got out, it, of, yeah. out of the blue, they've got this kid called Owens who is uh, plummeting down the ratings <laughs> list or the uh, odds list as we speak. He's gone from 10 at the start of the week to 6 bucks fifty. So uh, they are on board, the fans. They think they're all believers of Mitch Owens for the they rising sh- star. Well, they should be with Filippo. And then Jack Higgins is playing some exciting yeah. footy. All of a sudden, you're right, there's the excitement factor. It is in the front half, of course, but... That's what uh, that's that's what they're delivering at the moment. So, what is it about the Saints for you, Jared, through the early phase of the season? Well, I I I, I didn't think they'd be like this. 
And so I just keep looking and, and I'm in awe of uh, just how well they've done. They're, they've bought into the Ross Lyon methodology. They've clearly belted themselves over summer, so they've got their fitness levels to extraordinary levels. But they were, they have had a lot of elite runners anyway. So when Ross Lyon looked at this group, and I spoke to him down at, uh, down at a coffee shop, uh, one of the Bayside coffee shops a couple of years ago, and he, just, he was enamoured with the Tigers' run. He said the Tigers will win the flag. They've got too many elite runners. And ultimately, he would have looked at the list and, uh, list and said, well, at least we've got runners. And I think he did say that a couple of times when he was asked about uh, the personnel. And he's got those runners running in a methodology or a method that uh, allows them to, to attack and certainly allows them to defend and more defence than attack. It's amazing. It, it really is. And, and, and I sit here amazed with where they sit at this current point. And I know last year they started well and then the drop-off mm. happened. But I just can't see see a significant drop-off from, from this side with the Ray Ross the way Ross has got them playing because you're right on, on attack they're good but it's but it's on defence the, the collective 22 on the field that flow to to the position to restrict the ball yep. movement of the opposition turn it over in critical spots and then respond back the other way it's it's first class but it but it's taken a group to to buy in to that style so quickly and I know Ross pumps up the other assistant coaches yep. which is in right because they're teaching it in in essence but. The playing group, and you'd love to be on a fly on the wall during fly on the wall during the week with the way that they assess each other and the way they assess the game plan internally and what they reward. And I think that's the aspect because as players, you love to be rewarded for those defensive structure efforts that you're putting in play. Not so much the the six or seven goals you might kick as a, as an individual. So I think that would be part of what Ross would be selling to the group and the coaches is okay. You get rewarded for for this. This is the aspect of our play that is setting us up for victory. You do it will give you the biggest tick uh, going around. I reckon we were here in, uh, was it round one or round two, when the Saints took on Fremantle? And you could just see the, the setup, the zone setup, And the, the defence was there for all and sundry to see. And I think it was a shock to the way that Fremantle played, although Ross said afterwards he'd watched the tapes, or he said before the game, actually, he'd watched the Collingwood tapes. So they beat them up in similar fashion in the, in the semi-final, second semi-final. And yet that defensive structure has uh, enabled them to go on. I mean, it was a big upset. When Fremantle were beaten by St Kilda, if you go back to round, was it one or two? I'll get it up. Well, but, round two was the Bulldogs. And they only scored 41 against the Saints. And that was the one I was obviously having a really close look at. Yeah. And the Saints went on to kick 92. It, so, was, it was round one. It was the last game. I must have been doing it for Fox. And you could see it, you could see it like from the word go. And it was... Mm. They kicked 52 points. They scored 52 points for Emmanuel. And from then on, I mean, it took probably a month for it to settle in, sink in that this is, this is real. And now we're uh, coming into round seven and they're on top of the ladder. It's, re- it's, it's really critical, I think, the fact that we look at what these sides have scored against the St Kilda football. You've got some heavy, heavy attacking teams here that just cannot get on the scoreboard whatsoever. The Bulldogs are one of them. Essendon uh, are certainly in that bracket. The Collingwood Footy Club, although they beat them, only scored 70 well, Hoyne so, told us during the week that they're 18 points better off than any other club wow. conceding scores. Wow. And you have to go back, I think it was to 1966, and that's where 1966 starts yes. to reverberate, Wayne, mm. <laughs> uh, where there was a similar disparity. So we're going back uh, nearly 100, well, not 100 years, but we're going back uh, a long way. Yes, and that, that question sits as who can score 13 goals against them? <laughs> I, and that's where the bar is at the mm. moment. If you, can anyone get to 13 goals well, against You might have them? to score 15 goals against them when Max King comes back as well. So they'll evolve during the season, St yeah. Kilda. And the other teams will look at who can't score against St Kilda and they'll try and come up with a, a way of beating St Kilda. So the season will evolve. But the beauty is you've got Ross Lyon, who, as far as you know, the cutting-edge um, guys who can reinvent and continue to get more out of a team is probably the guy who you trust to be able to keep reinventing this team and keep getting more out of them. So what what does the role of expectation play now? So they're going to start to run favourites in, I would suspect, four of their next five. And you can make a very real case that they're going to sit on top of the ladder to the halfway mark. But this is a young side who is... Believe it, that self-fulfilling cycle of belief. The more you do it, the more you want to do it. The more you do it, mm. they're living that. Where does when when does expectation enter it? Is that right now? I think it is, and you know that's why it's exciting to come and see how Filippo goes and how Mitch Allen goes because he's had a lot of press this week. So he's gone uh, down Media Street, not through his own fault, through uh, everybody else finally recognising just how well he's going. 
You've got guys like Howard, though. They're, they're, they're uh, seasoned players. Wilkie's a seasoned player. Sinclair moved him into the middle last week, which was, was uh, really handy for him, and uh, it broke the shackles against Carlton. So they've got a good mix of experience and young players. But, um, I mean, St Kilda played in a final two years ago. So it's not as if they've been bereft of injury. It's just, I think, their abysmal second half of last year reset the bar. But uh, ultimately, I think Collingwood have faced that same challenge over the last uh, 18 months. And Ross will be taking a, a pretty similar approach, I think. You know, no use of the elevator. It's always the stairs. I think he always uses the terminology like we're chipping away. We're not getting ahead of ourselves. He'd be he'd be a big party pooper after the celebration. He'd be just bringing everyone right back down to ground and say, we're done, we've done nothing. And they, and they haven't. But uh, they've got off to a great start, so it's exciting. And, and it does create, I think, an opportunity for other clubs like Port to come in here with a free swing. There's no expectation on Port Adelaide, Jono, but mm. I mean, Ken Hinckley, he would have he would have busted his brain over the week trying to come up with a system because whoever can unlock the system, there's credit in the bank for that. Port's got the ability to beat St Kilda for talent purposes. Have they got the ability to break through their defensive structures? We we wait and see, but Jerry, you're right. They will sit on top of the table at the bye. Their bye is round 12, and they will sit on top of the table because post tonight they go North Melbourne, Adelaide Crows, Giants, and Hawthorne. So St Kilda are good enough with what we've seen so far to win even tonight, but even the next four post that. So they sit in a position, and you use the word but, and it's how big that but is then that we that we start to look at for that second half of the year, which was the, the downfall for this for this team last year. Adelaide Crows will be an interesting battle because they are they, they are another one that's coming. They're hard at it. They have I was thinking about this just today, people dismissing pre season form. Adelaide are living up to their pre season form. Mm. Carl, and there wasn't that much of it on display. There was a practice match and a half practice match. But Richmond weren't that impressive in, in pre season. Melbourne were. Um the Swans were, but they've fallen away, obviously, with, with injury, and they've only beaten uh, those down the bottom of the ladder. But the, but the Crows were seriously impressive. Their pressure and their uh, cohesion, to use uh, Matty Nix's <laughs> word, was evident for all to see. And when they, they had a lot, couple of close losses early, but they're up and about now. Yeah, it's the two South Australian sides in the next section of the yeah. draw for St Kilda. So... Uh, we love big butts when it comes to the course <laughs> of the season, don't we, Jono? As the ifs and the butts really make it. Where, what are you seeing in Port Adelaide, Dwayne? I think they've got an ability to beat St Kilda tonight. <laughs> I think they do have enough good players who are on the improve. Adding Horn Francis, you know, we've all talked about Horn Francis probably way too much, but he's been good. He's been a great addition for them, and I think their midfield change-up where, you know, out Boak, Wines, and Robbie Gray to some extent now that he's retired and, in Butters, Rosie, and Horn Francis. I think that's been a good change for them to change their midfield. Uh, Ruckwise has still got an issue, but if they could, if Finlayson became, become Mark Blitzarves, that kind, not as good, but that kind of player, then that changes things as well for them because they could run Finlayson in the ruck as a fourth midfielder and have Charlie Dixon running in there every now and then when you're in trouble. So when Finlayson gets beat a couple of bounces in a row, put Dixon in there and try and stop the rot. So I think they've got the weaponry. Um, they've got a couple of you know, good players who can't get a game for them at the moment. That's always an indicator. That selection pressure is good to have. If Bonner can't get a game and a couple of other guys that have been knocking on the door that can't get in, so that's a good thing. I think they've actually improved a bit this year, and they, they have had a, you know, a four, three or four-season plateau under Ken. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of upside, but it is only early, so don't want to get too excited about Port Adelaide. But tonight is, it's, I don't want to use the word audit because John is sick of it, but <laughs> I think they get to audit each other Thank you. in a way tonight. I think Port Adelaide will see what St Kilda is up to and how long they can sustain it for. I think Collingwood got that audit from Essendon last week and Collingwood showed that they're damn good given what they did in the last quarter. So, you know, I can see Port Adelaide at some stage leading this game halfway through it and we'll all sit back and say, OK, well, is Port Adelaide the real deal? They're away from home and... Um, a St Kilda just too damn good for most. We place a lot of stock in home ground advantage and uh, the trouble is Port Adelaide have won their last seven games here. Yeah, they so, like it here. So, Well, what, if there was a G tonight, it'd be a different game. Yeah. I mean, we probably wouldn't be there yet. Have you seen the traffic out there in the wet? Yeah, it was <laughs> It's not great, is it? <laughs> so they love the roof. You should laugh about they it. Love but the if you're roof. listening to this show in traffic, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's, it's like Melbourne changed in the last eight hours. Yeah, it did. Mm. So it's fun to be here under the roof. And we've never driven in the wet before. No, that's right. <laughs> exactly. That was a weird drive in. Where are you on port, Jared? in prospect? 
I think they're either going to just make it or just miss out on the eight. I, I like what uh, Ken's done. They've got, as Dwayne said, they've got a good young midfield coming through, which is slowly pushing the older blokes to the uh, outside, which is handy because they can always come back on the inside. You know, if, you, if you're struggling, Travis Boak can come in and, and do what he has been doing for over 300 games. He's, he's a star. So it's a, it's a club that's in transition, but it's a club that's transitioning well. And they... Started brilliantly beating Brisbane and then fell on their sword and uh, there was, you know, all the pressure came on Ken Hinckley and and they've responded. The, the win against the Swans got them going and uh, they've continued on. So it's, you know, this would be a really big win for Ken and for the group if they get there. Yeah, I totally agree. The the Sydney game, I think, was a, a bit of a circuit breaker for them as a, yeah, as a football club. They had to... They had to just do everything in their powers to win. That was a low-scoring game. It was a and they were gone. Tight you know, Twenty tussle. points down yep. with five minutes to play. Something like and that. And then the following week, they play the Western Bulldogs in Gather Round, yep. and it's the worst conditions of the entire round. Yep. Yep. And it was wet and really, really wet. And their last quarter was powerful. It was strong. It was a, they had a full commitment to the contest for the entire game, and they had to to break open the Western Bulldogs, who had a similar endeavour in terms of their season on the on the line for this aspect of, of where we're at at the moment. And then what they did at West Coast, they just had to do that and destroy them off and destroy them the way they did, build some percentage and, and, uh, and go from there. But the two for me are Rosie and Butters. They're the common thread here. Mm. The last three weeks, they've been their best two players. And what that results in everyone else and the movement of the ball and the energy that's provided and their ball use centre forward is, is so important. So if they get the ball 60, 70 out, look out because they rarely miss when going inside forward 50, especially Butters. He's kept the kick. He's got the inside 50 kick of the year last year to, to Rioli on the lead. It was, mm. it was absolutely phenomenal. Half forward flank, right foot in. It was, it was a beautiful kick and he's in great form. Jeremy Finlayson has been a really good pickup for them. They, they uh, got him out of, out of uh, the Giants. Could have picked him up for uh, basically zero, and and uh, that's what they paid. A you know a future third rounder, I think it was. He was, he was always a, a good player for them, but never really a consistently good player. But uh, gee, I thought at the time, I thought it was an absolute steal, and he's just continued to be get better and better and better. He's got uh, you know a really difficult personal situation that he's dealing with, but he's been in terrific form in the last few weeks. He won them the game against the Swans. He was important again over the last couple of weeks, and. Uh, he will play a big role tonight because I suspect he'll have to play in the ruck at some stage and and also be a target up forward. Yeah, I think it'll be a bit of an interesting watch what they do with the ruck. I yeah. know Finn Layson's enjoying that that freedom to get up the ground and move around, compete in the ruck, and then, as you said, play that extra midfield role. But with Tickle in the side at 204 and 120 kilos, you sort of think, well, that's got to be an option at some point, doesn't it? Maybe no, he he'll just, be in the ruck. Maybe he just takes some forward stoppages. Charlie Dixon's the other one. Yep. That, no, that they will do the majority of the ruck. Yep, and yeah. I and, and I think that's the the role. But whether Dixon takes more, yeah, or and Finlayson plays more as a traditional forward, or that affects his game too much because of what he's been, you know, doing so well up up the field. I would actually start Finlayson in the ruck. I would wow. have Tickle on the bench. Against, I think Tickle yep. tickles the protection. I think for Dixon in a way that Dixon doesn't have to ruck as much. He can stay forward because Marshall's not there. Mm. So that's where I'll probably see it a bit different, but. I mean, Tickle's a ruckman, so why not play him as a ruck? I just would start Finlayson, uh, leave Dixon forward just about all night uh, if in trouble break glass. But uh, mm-hmm. when when Finlayson needs a rest, bring Tickle on to play. He's not a, he hasn't proven himself as a forward yet, but he can. Well, he hasn't kicked a goal in the AFL yet, but um, he can play forward and kick goals. He's done it in the Sandville. So many possibilities contained in tonight's game. St Kilda and Port Adelaide. Uh, we'll delve deep as we work our way through. It's uh, it's a ten to eight siren local time so there's plenty of time to work through the the issues of a short week and the possibilities contained in tonight's game tomorrow's car is available today a selected range of hyundai tucson's including the powerful fuel efficient diesel all-wheel drive models are in stock ready to drive away tech driver tucson to see why tomorrow wants its car back uh, we're going to head to tassie shortly about 10 minutes time is it's felt tomorrow morning the Prime Minister will make his funding announcement for the stadium at Macquarie Point. There was a three o'clock hookup today with the presidents and the chief executives, which the AFL called. 
Um, not all were able to attend on short notice, and Jeff Brown, the Collingwood president, made it known that uh, it shouldn't constitute any form of vote on such short notice. That was never the intention, but he did make that known behind the scenes that he was not able to attend and there shouldn't be any decisions that were being made during that hookup. The AFL told the clubs that they are on standby for the federal government funding announcement. They're extremely careful not to run ahead of it, but they do anticipate that it's coming this weekend. And that, the construction of the Macquarie Point Stadium is the last item that was demanded by the clubs. Uh, and the AFL made that point as they've heard the clubs, they've progressively worked through those items and this was the last of them. So should the commission... Um, so should the, uh, the funding announcement come tomorrow, the, com the commission would then meet and formalise a position on the 19th licence and then that goes to the clubs for approval. The AFL took the time during that hookup to essentially re-prosecute the case for the Tasmanian team. Why it's achievable and why it's desirable, they were parameters that the clubs know well from the meetings that they have had along the way. Uh, and they've answered the questions around self-interest, around the guarantees of financial distributions, uh, that there are no cost overrun issues or risks for the AFL and the stadium construction. They belong to government, not to the league. Uh, there are issues of staff. There are how to manage a 19th team and thus the buy. Uh, they've all been discussed to a degree. And my understanding is that in that hookup, 10 to 12 clubs vocally spoke up in favour of the team. And that's more than enough. So what's your time frame then? If the government money comes on the weekend, then you have a commission meeting when? And then the vote from the president's when? I think realistically the end of next week. Uh, so the AFL will provide enough notice to make sure that all 18 presidents and chief executives uh, can meet at a certain time. Uh, and I think swiftly early next week they will uh, they'll provide their recommendation to the clubs, their desire to issue the 19th licence. In amongst the clubs who spoke up, I believe Gold Coast was one who spoke up in favour of it. That caused a degree of mirth because mm. Tony Cochran had been <laughs> a thorn in this process's side for a while. He's no longer there, but the new chairman was prepared to pledge... Uh, his support to it, North Melbourne and Hawthorne, the long-term co-tenants in, uh, in, in Tasmania have tipped their hand that they'll be in favour of it. But the way that it, it falls is the AFL needs five clubs to vote in favour of it and they've come away from this phone call knowing that there are 10 to 12 who will. They would like a unanimous verdict, but clubs like Collingwood and Sydney um, will be the last ones to, to either talk down or talk into it. They would like everybody's visionary support. They don't need it. Um, there is some recognition, though, I think, that it's a uh, $715 million stadium and the AFL is going to contribute 2%. It's you, a phenomenal deal. Any way you cut it up, the it is a phenomenal The biggest issue for me, Jared, deal. is uh, everyone's ticked off on the stadium. But like a few other issues around uh, town at the present time, we don't quite know what the stadium is going to be. So is it a guarantee with a roof? Because it's a big difference if it's not a roof. Yeah, so that's not in the AFL's control. So I think no, from what we understand. that That's up to really the state government, I think, right. at the moment. Um, and I take it the cricket is the, that, that has been tabled as the concern, mm. that you can't play test cricket in a roofed stadium at the moment. I don't think can I'd be using that though? as an inhibitor. Just if there's a roof that can open? Yeah, so these are, these are questions yep. for the governments who are funding it. And is but, essentially but the, the government provides the money to build Macquarie Point, and then the AFL makes a commitment to put a 19th team there and play there. Yeah. But the but the vision was a roof stadium. Yeah, it was. So that was what was written about be, in the task force report. Yeah, and I think everybody's agreed to it on the roof stadium. So it would be a... You know, these things happen in politics, I suppose. You say, yes, 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 and all of a sudden, you oh, well, we can't afford the roof. Whatever they do, they need to put enough infrastructure in there to add a roof because it would be so short-sighted not to have a stadium down there that can uh, house concerts, house whatever festivities they want to do because nine games of footy isn't going to pay for it. And even if they play a game of cricket, well, I wouldn't be counselling the roof just so you can play a game of cricket. Even your, if it was a test match. Your thoughts on whether the final vote from the presidents will actually be unanimous because if they get wind of the fact that it's coming in anyway... Without, with their no vote, given that every other president's saying yes, would they be prepared to be the club that said no? I, I think any president who voted no should do so very publicly and explain why, so that they can be judged in the now and they can be judged in history. This is, those presidents are not going to be there when this team 
plays, these are transient positions. Uh, I would hope that they find, they have the foresight to go unanimous. You're listening to AFL Nation for elders, for Australian agriculture and tyre power. Big Easter sale. Listening to AFL Nation for elders, for Australian agriculture and tyre power. Big Easter sale. Friday night footy from Marvel, St Kilda and Port Adelaide to meet in a top eight clash. Our Friday night presenting partner is Penrite Oil and your local Repco authorised service. We're in our pre-game show. Jared Waitley, Dwayne Russell, Jared Healy, Brad Johnson for Beaumont Tiles Trade. They provide specialist advice for Tyler's. All eyes to Tassie in the morning. Brent Costello broke this story on Wind News on Monday night that the federal government was going to put forward its $240 million to build the new stadium at Macquarie Point. Brent, welcome to AFL Nation. Nice to be with you, Jared. Thanks for having me. What's going to happen tomorrow morning? Well, hopefully Anthony Albanese rolls in with a big novelty check and, uh, and hands it over to Jeremy Rockliffe <laughs> and we can uh, get this AFL team happening. So the sense of expectation is that th- this is the night before Christmas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, look, it, it's still pretty divisive down here. There's no doubt about that. There's plenty of opposition to this happening. Um, obviously, people are saying the money could be better spent elsewhere. And we've got a housing crisis at the moment. Um, and health is, is always uh, at the top of the news. But um, obviously, you need to spend money to make money. And, and this is one way of doing it by doing exactly what Adelaide and Perth have done and, and plonking a stadium right in the CBD. When did the when did the support politically progressively fracture, Brent? When you look back over the past few months, no doubt when the stadium uh, became a thing, because before that uh, it all had tripartisan support for, for Tasmania's AFL push. The Greens were on board, uh, State Labor was on board, and obviously the State Liberals who are in power here at the moment. But uh, as soon as the stadium became a thing and it was revealed how much it was going to cost, that's when uh, questions started being asked, particularly by state Labor. And the, and the federal government, so uh, you had this story on Monday night. Is how, how likely did you feel it was that the, the feds would pay their part or has that been in the wind for a while? Yeah, I've been pretty confident the whole way through. If you go back uh, over the last probably... 24 months, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride, but more so in the last uh, few months, we we're pretty confident that uh, this was going to happen. Um, but it has been a roller coaster, Jared. There's been no doubt about that. I've been covering this story for 15 to 20 years, and there's been many ups and downs. And uh, as I said on, on uh, SEN Tassie this morning, when, when it is announced, when Gil does come and rubber stamp the deal, I'll be p- thinking about people like Bob Gozzi and Michael Kent, who, who led our pushes in the in the 1990s. And Unfortunately, didn't get anywhere with it, but um, that we owe a lot to them as well for, for pushing our case even back then. You must have been pretty confident when you saw Gil McLaughlin, um, the chairman of the commission, Goiter, and uh, the Prime Minister, Albanese, all drinking out of the same bottle of red about four weeks ago. Yes, Jared, absolutely. It always helps, doesn't it, when you see them together and uh, having a good time. And, uh, yeah, no doubt that... Uh, the AFL just gets it done, don't they? They know how to, to get these government deals done and uh, that's why we're going to back them in to get this one done as well, I suppose. So they've done a, a brilliant job again of that and, um, yeah, obviously it's going to be fantastic when it's built. So tell us about the debates uh, and how... I mean, clearly there's there's always a you know an, an unfillable bucket that is required for a lot of things like health, education, etc. I mean, the Prime Minister... Uh, said today that uh, there's another $2 billion for uh, health around the nation. It may have been, uh, I guess, uh, in, in, in light of uh, the announcement that's going to come tomorrow and just to head off a little bit of that criticism. But when you see other states that have been transformed, like Melbourne has with this stadium and the MCG, Perth has with Optus Stadium, what's happened with, uh, the, with um, over in Adelaide with uh, their magnificent stadium, it, surely there's people that are seeing that as something that will transform the city of Hobart? No doubt, Jared. absolutely. It's probably a 50-50 split here at the moment. A lot of people can see what it's going to do. And I saw some of the figures for Adelaide over only yesterday, and I think it injects $4 billion into the South Australian economy each year. So 
when you see numbers like that, it's hard to argue. And I think people just look at the outlay of what we're spending on this, but they don't look at what's going to come back in. And that's going to be, you know, tourists and, and everything else that goes with it. It's going to, you know, people are going to come down and watch this team play and travelling supporters, etc. And um, the location for me is just absolutely perfect. Uh, it's yep. literally a drop punt from Salamanca or a couple of drop punts. It's, it's, it's really going to extend the CBD out, all your accommodations within, you know, uh, 90% accommodations within walking distance of the stadium. Um, you know, the car parks will be full around the CBD, meaning people will be going to the shops in there on game day and spending up. So it just, uh, it, it just makes complete sense, I, I think. And, um, yeah, it's going to be magnificent. What's the favourite for the name of the team? There must be uh, straw polls being done everywhere. <laughs> I don't know if there has to be because I think everyone's pretty happy with Devils. Um, yeah, the the okay. branding we've got at the moment for the, the under-18 team in, in the coach league is, is brilliant, I think, and, and they might give it a revamp, who knows. But I just think, um, yeah, the Devils would be a perfect fit. Uh, we had them in the VFL back in the day. Uh, the basketball side didn't go too well with that moniker. We saw them fold, but... Uh, it just makes sense to me. I know we've got the demons in the AFL already. It's a little similar, but uh, yeah, I think it'd be great. The Devils is in the detail here. Mm. The roof. What what what's happened with the roof of the stadium? Well, yeah, it's a it's a it's a talking point at the moment, Jerry, because obviously seven hundred and fifteen million dollars. You, you do wonder how far that's going to go. Uh, it was originally coming in at seven hundred and fifty, and that was with the retractable roof. I think when they were up the road at Regatta Point, but uh, yeah, I, I just think with the cricket situation, as you touched on uh, earlier, and not being able to play test cricket, particularly under the roof, and whether the ICC changes that in future years, we'll have to wait and see. But um, I, I heard Jared's um, opinion too about you, ne- you need to sort of future-proof it as well. If you're going to spend this much money, you kind of need to to make sure it's, um, it's going to go well into the future. And they were talking about the Perspex roof for a little while, but that obviously doesn't open and shut. Uh, retractable roof is probably going to cost you $300 million dollars. Um, I like the. I, I, I get what everyone's saying about the roof, but could you could you build it so it goes around and it's, it's sort of a donut that, that we sort of see in other stadiums around the world where the the crowd's covered up, but the, the ground itself isn't. I'm not sure if that's a, a, a in the middle sort of uh, concept, but yeah, no doubt that'll be the next talking point and one of many talking points moving forward. We're going to have list bill, we're going to have staff, and it's, it's going to be new stories galore down here for me to cover. That's for sure. No, Brent, push for the roof. We're at Marvel Stadium at the moment and it is raining outside and it's beautiful. This is going to be a great game of, of football. The other aspect I think you need to push for is gather around in 2029. Three stadiums in, in Tassie. I heard there's going to be a push immediately to get every team down there in the early stages of this development. The magnificent, John uh, I think it worked beautifully down here. I know it be, wouldn't be gathered in the one spot as, as you were in Adelaide, but uh, gathered in the one state still pretty cool, I reckon. And we heard also today that um, the, the federal government's putting $65 million into Utah Stadium, which is matched by the, the state government. So there's a, a large chunk of money going into Launceston as well. And obviously the team will play uh, a couple of, well, probably three or four games up there each season. So it's great to know we'll have uh, two quality venues at, at either end of the state. Notice with interest your comments on 360 the other night, Jared, that you'd wait and go bang um, with the, the team and the new stadium launching at the same time. I, I feel like that's not a bad call from you, and uh, we'll have to wait and see where that one lands as well. So I don't think that's the way it's going from what I know of what <laughs> was spoken about today. is um, the it's still I think we're talking 28. It's possible we're talking 27. Uh, and the, the period of time that everybody's prepared to wear not being in the new stadium. It looks like it's definitely a season. Yeah, look, it, 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 and that's not far away. That's going to come around so quickly if it is 2027. There's a lot to do. There's a high-performance centre to build as well, obviously. So, um, yeah, whoever is in charge of this in the interim uh, is going to have a, a lot of work ahead of them, that's for sure. So there's going to be games played at UTAS. I mean, the economics of this, from my understanding, was uh, on nine games of AFL footy, but uh, there's ways and means around that, I suppose. But uh, where is this? Where is the team going to be based? I assume it's got to be at Macquarie. Yeah, we're based in, in Hobart, Jared. They're looking at a, a few different sites now for that high performance centre. Right. I think one's at Canelian Bay, which is probably a five minute drive from the CBD. Another one I heard was the Rosney Golf Course, which is just across the bridge on your way to to Blunston Arena. Um, so there's a few sites in the mix, but. Um, That'll be probably one of the first things they need to get cracking on, I suppose, because that's uh, going to be really important as, as to, to how successful the team's going to be. Chesty the fisherman, he's the uh, number one flathead fisherman uh, in Hobart. He wants—he's just texted me and he wants to know whether you'll be able to arrive by boat. 
absolutely. Uh, that that'll be uh, very important. That'll be the feature in this game with him, I reckon. Absolutely. He's got the big red boat, doesn't he, Jerry? He's That's got the big red boat. There? Yep, yep. Yeah. He's famous yeah. down there. No, best flathead. No, boats will <laughs> boats will be a big way of getting to the stadium. No doubt about it. Give, give me your best guess on timelines, Brent, from here. So tomorrow, the prime minister. What, what do you reckon happens yep. to, in the in the week thereafter? Yeah, well, I've heard all along that Gil was only going to be a couple of days behind, but um, after things weren't settled, it seems, in that phone hook-up today with uh, a few clubs not being on that, we might have to wait a little longer, perhaps, as you said before, towards the end of next week, potentially. But um, I don't think it's going to be a super long wait by all reports, no. So um, the sooner the better, obviously, Gil wants to, or potentially leave, where we think he's going to leave, but uh, this is obviously one he wanted to tick off before he goes. So I don't think we're we'll waiting too long for that final uh, green tick. And will you be the official and inaugural media manager for the Devils? <laughs> You've been pushing for this for a long time. <laughs> if you can get me that gig, Jared, I will take it with uh, both hands. I think that would be a, a pretty exciting role to go into. You've got the contact, so if you can make it happen for me, mate, I'll take it. Thank you. We've been talking about this for about eight years, I reckon, uh, Chief. So uh, I, yep. I reckon you do. You've sat at the right hand of the father, <laughs> Gutsy Goodwin, there for a period, period of time, and now Rocky. You've been guiding them through the difficulties. You've done a great job. Thank you. We've got there. How exciting, hey? It's going to be uh, yeah, big, uh, big week ahead. There's no doubt about it. I have a hunch that there's been a lot of theorising around who should be in what roles. I have a hunch you and I are, are aligned on who the first president should be. Who's your yep. view? Yep. Peter Gutwin has to be, I think. Um, he's the man that has got us to this position, really. If he wasn't as strong as he was to the AFL and threatening to withdraw those contracts for Hawthorne and North Melbourne. We mightn't be sitting here talking about this right now. And I actually asked him uh, about a week and a half ago when I caught up with him at a a press conference uh, if he was in the mix for this job and he sort of laughed it off and that made me think uh, even more that he, he might be in the mix for it. He said, look at my LinkedIn resume, you'll see how busy I am. I'm probably busier than I was when I was Premier, but uh, no, he'd, he'd make the perfect first chairman or president for sure. Yeah, I reckon you're right. You're going to have someone with, uh, who yep. could move and shake the town, and he's certainly been able to do that. Well, he sounded like he wanted to be the uh, the president when he sort of reacted to James Sicily's commentary. He, <laughs> he sounded like a, an us-against-them sort of president. What did that do to the local mood, Brent? Yeah, no, it wasn't, uh, wasn't ideal, I guess, to hear that from uh, the skipper of the, the team the state pays for. But, um, look, yeah, I, I feel for him a little bit because we always complain about uh, players being too robotic and he was simply being honest. But I guess if it was a Carlton or an Essendon player or, or another club, it wouldn't have been as big a story. It, uh, unfortunately, when you're the captain of the club uh, and, and your team's been sponsored by Tasmania, not the greatest of looks, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, look, it is what it is. What about the stocks underneath? Say from fourteen on, they're the ones that are going to be uh, in the in the draft that uh, hopefully will be supplying the kids to Tasmania. Is it is it better than it was? Well, it's no secret we need to do more, Jared. Absolutely, um, we, we haven't been punching above our weight when it comes to draftees, really. Um, so th- that'll be helped along though with this other package, and that's what we haven't really spoken about either. Is the Three hundred and sixty odd million dollars the AFL is going to tip into Tasmania once this is all um, green lighted as well, and that's uh, ninety million for game development, uh, thirty three for talent academies. So uh, it's a lot of money coming in, and that that will no doubt help. The structure is going to be interesting underneath too, because we've got a state league here at the moment that's only got seven teams in it, and only two in the states north, so it's a bit lopsided. So I think we'll see a whole restructure of uh, of regional footy. Uh, we'll probably obviously get a VFL team as well. Um, so that that's another subplot to all this that we'll need to uh, work out as well. And could you name me the inaugural captain? The inaugural like if you had, captain. If you, if you had the pick, oh. you could go around and pick out the inaugural captain you wanted to oh. be there for five years. So he's about probably going to be 24 right now. Nick Dacos, thanks. <laughs> I thought you'd go for Nick, but Good unfortunately, you've got to shoot high. you got to shoot high. Uh, so a big day in the town tomorrow. Have you seen a release from the Prime Minister's office yet? Have you got a time? No, we've been refreshing our emails all afternoon at, uh, at the work office, that's for sure. But uh, I believe it's quite early. You wouldn't want to be sleeping in. I'll, I'll put it that way. I won't go with what I know in case it's wrong, but uh, I think <laughs> it's going to be quite early in the day. Because the PM's off to Kyle Sanderland's wedding, we found out today. So he's he got is, a big yeah. day. Priorities. He's the disc jockey. Right, there you go. Uh, Brent, terrific. Uh, and well done on all that you've done, including breaking the story on Monday night that this was happening. I appreciate it, Jared. Good to talk to you, boys. Thank you.
Good on you, Brent Costello. Win news. He's been a vital link to all of it. It's a big day tomorrow. Yeah, I think the political journalists were told to make sure they're there tonight right. for the early start tomorrow. Mm. And that's that's fair enough, too. It's going to be a big day for, for Tassie. But he, he made a good point at the end there. He mentioned Nick Dacos, and you instantly go to clubs now start to position themselves. As, as much as they might tick this off for Tassie, they mm. start to position themselves yeah. so they're not losing key players come the time that Tassie get that opportunity to to start recruiting. And it is that... It's going to be that 25-year-old. He might have won his couple of flags, Nick Dacos, by then, and then a massive deal's thrown out to him. Does he go? Gary Ablett Jr. style. Mm. Self-interest will play a big role will. from here. This the is... headline tomorrow. Dacos to leave <laughs> no. with Brad Johnson. No. The guy who tipped him to miss the It's a generalisation of that type yep. of player, Dwayne. Please. <laughs> this is the <laughs> AFL Nation pregame show for Beaumont Tiles Trade. They provide specialist advice for tilers. It's coming Listening to AFL Nation for elders, for Australian agriculture and tyre power. Big Easter sale. Friday night footy, St Kilda and Port Adelaide before us on AFL Nation for elders, for Australian agriculture and for tyre power, your match day favourites for tyre safety. Before we tidy up our Tasmanian conversation is pretty, uh, hopefully there's the moment of glow that we all Yep. bask in and then move on to the mm. practicalities of it. But if we wanted to rush <laughs> on to the practicalities, we've seen a few different style of list builds for expansion teams, haven't we? We have. I've been listening to Matt Rendell uh, during the week and uh, he's, he's all across it. But uh, you go back to the Brisbane Bears, they had one method and then they had the Suns had a totally different method and the Giants went completely differently and just went youth with uh, half a dozen coaches. And I thought that worked really well, but they need more senior players. And if we go back to when you and I were playing, the emergence uh, and the establishment of the, of the Bears, every club was told that they could get a list of their top 20 or 23 players, but then they had to allow three other players to go. Well, you've just got to be careful and check the fine print because Ian Collins, who was one of the sharpest minds around, he put Dr Ian Aiken on the list. He was over in England uh, becoming a surgeon or becoming a doctor. So uh, when, they, when they looked around for their third Carlton player or their second Carlton player, he was over in Europe. I'm pretty sure it was Ian Aiken, but uh, it's, Colo definitely slipped one through to the keeper. So they do need a blending of senior. I think um, the Gold Coast had eight of the first 13 picks in one particular draft. So whether they do that first year, give eight of the first 13 picks, there will be... Guys like Jeff Rains and Mark Williams and those senior guys who went to the Bears who will say, OK, I like this idea. I'm going to go down to Tassie. I'll be a senior player down there. I need a fresh start from where I'm at in my career. So that'll be fantastic. And I think, I think winning helps retention. So one thing the Gold Coast haven't done, played in front of crowds, big crowds, and winning. And the Jack Jumpers, I know it's a smaller roster and it's a smaller stadium, but they play in front of a full house every week and they win most home games. So... I reckon if you're winning most home games, you don't have to win the flag, but if you're winning most home games and you're playing in front of a full crowd, mm. I think there'll be a lot more um, ability for the club to retain players because I don't think the Adelaide Crows players care that their stadium only holds half what the MCG right. holds when it's full. It's full. A full they don't care. A full house. Yeah, and I think that's the key as well to retaining players. I think it'll be fun to play for them in front of a full house when it's rocking with their fans. And you might not get a ticket. I mean, if they really mm. latch on like the Jack Jumpers fans have latched on, if the stadium's 30,000, you might only get a 4,000 allocation if you're coming from Richmond to go and play them. Just going back to the loose bill, what did we learn, do you think, from the Giants? I mean, they got to a grand final after about, what was it, seven or eight years. But would they be better off, instead of having three years where they get access to the top ten kids, would we be better off maybe lengthening that out over a eight-year period so they, they continually get four or five of the top ten and they, they don't all grow up together. They all There's a different blend, so you don't lose them all at the one time. Well, the, the issue with more so probably GWS than Gold Coast has been the salary cap pressure that they put under and they've lost their stars year in, year out. Now, Gold Coast have probably done the same thing. When you go through their list and yep. who's playing at other clubs now and, and because some were, some were pushed out, some left on their own, on their own merits. But that, that salary cap pressure is something I think that needs to be assessed from the early stages because you get these young, talented players in, you'll get a massive influx of them and then you're going to be losing the Shields of the Worlds and, yep. the, and then the Stephen Mays or the Prestiers. And all of a sudden, I think that affects your club because every year you're dropping one or two superstars... Mm out the back end, that the fans down in Tassie are going to grow and love. 
and all of a sudden they're not on your list because they're out because you can't afford them. That's Port what Adelaide I think doesn't if you have can a lot of feed them over a five or six yeah. year period yeah. after you've got your established, you know, X amount of senior players and X amount mm. of young players coming through, it, it may work slightly better. Yeah. Port Adelaide don't have a lot of locals in their team. There's not a lot of guys from South no. Australia. There's no. not a lot from the Port Peninsula. There's not, you know, for every Warren Treadray. I mean, Port Adelaide over time, their superstars, Russell Ebert, um, Foss Williams, they were all from outside. I mean, they came from other clubs to become Port Adelaide icons. So I don't think there's too much of a problem with the having to have, you know, X amount of locals. I don't think that's an issue. I also think that the the ability for Adelaide, when they first came in, had this stockpile of McGuinness, McDermott and all those guys who they kind of paid to stay at home for that initial yep. year. So whether that's going to be an enticement to you know, hold back a, a group of players that might be available for the draft, but we hold them back for one year and you come in as a as a 19-year-old maybe. I'm not sure. Or whether you can draft them earlier and play in a... Because the Giants played in the, the early comp they did one whole the year before they actually came into the they AFL. Did. So do you do that with them as well? So we Gold have Coast. a year. The Gold Coast so came Gold in for Coast. a year Guy early. McKenna was, was coaching yeah. it at that level prior. Remember those list rules. Mm. The back page of the Herald Sun famously had the next five cups mm. are all going to Gold Coast and... GWS. Yep. So the rising around what it was going to be mm. to what it's actually been. I think it'll be it'll be much simpler to build a club that makes sense rather than the plastic clubs that mm. were put into the outer rim, mm. which they're still trying to build their culture. It's, footy in Tassie will make a lot of sense. So if you get the right coach worry. that you want to play under as well and you get yeah. facilities, you love training under. Yep. Tomorrow's car is available today. A selected range of Hyundai Tucson's, including the powerful fuel-efficient diesel all-wheel drive models, are in stock, ready to drive away. Tech driver Tucson to see why tomorrow wants its car back. Into the Saints camp we go next. Our presenting partner is Penrite Oil and your local Repco authorised service. It's coming round like a You're listening to AFL Nation for elders, for Australian agriculture and tyre power. Big Easter sale. You're listening to AFL Nation for elders, for Australian agriculture and tyre power. Big Easter sale. We are counting down toward Friday night footy. St Kilda hosting Port Adelaide. The Saints are on the top of the ladder. You're welcome back to AFL Nation for Elders. When the ultimate grand final weekend by opening an Elders prepayment account and for tyre power, get the power and tackle road safety. We're going inside the Saints camp here with the GM of footy. David Misson, Dave, great to have you with us on AFL Nation. Thanks, guys. Pleasure. We were referencing that you've gathered a big band of believers on the outside. I'm curious as to how that belief has permeated through the first six weeks of the season internally. Yeah, look, it's been a it's been a process, obviously, over summer. Um, a lot of new people coming in, coaches and, you know, staff as well. And, yeah, we're, we're pretty pleased at the uptake from the players in particular. They're a really coachable group and, you know, they've really obviously bought into the system and the process that we're trying to build. How are you liking the new job, Dave? Yeah, there are times, Jared, where I feel like putting the cones out and still flogging <laughs> blokes. But, um, yeah, no, I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, it's been challenging, but really, uh, really enjoyable. Do you oversee the flogging still, though? A little bit. Good. A little bit, yeah. Yep. I, I can't not sort of, you know, take away from that. But, um, yeah, there's been a lot of other, a lot of other things to, um, to work on since uh, stepping in. What's been the most exciting moment of the season for you so far? I think just seeing the belief that the players have now, um, you know, we, we started obviously from ground zero, but um, as I said, the uptake from a, a system and process point of view and how well the players have bought into that, uh, you know, each week and each good performance just is a, you know, a snowball and, you know, we're just building hopefully to... Uh, to a, a good a good back end of the season. I know in the in the early stages, David, in in regards to the, the system and, and and playing under Ross. But at what stage during that preseason, when you're watching training, do you sort of look yourself and go, "Hang on, we're on the right we're on the right path here." Well, I think the first three k time trial when we got back from Christmas told us that we had a group that could really run. Um, you know the results there, and then you know just having coaches like Hayes, Harvey, and Enright you know, building out those lines. Yeah, we could sort of just see almost every session from January through to the middle of February that, yeah, we're sort of building, you know, to something that was going to be going to be quite good. 
Dave, that, that's on the players, though, isn't it? Because you say you, you, get, the, you get a result like that coming back off a, off a break. That, that's a playing group that, that is fully committed to, to really getting, getting better. That must, that must please you immensely. Yeah, look, they were given pretty strong direction before they went away for Christmas, um, both, you know, physically and from a mindset point of view. And, and really, at the end of the day, the results spoke for themselves. And we thought, hang on, we got, we got a pretty good group here and, um, you know, really launched from there. The excitement around two kids, Filippo and uh, Owens, is uh, it just continues to snowball. This week, it's all been about Owens uh, with uh, with uh, Hoyne from Champion Data just letting us all know exactly how well he's going comparative to the rest of the competition. So it's uh, it's it doesn't take much for uh, the the list all of a sudden to look a lot more exciting than perhaps it did 12 weeks ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, those two kids, and they are kids, are probably two of our most professional players on the list and the way they prepare and, you know, just their attitude towards every single session. So for, for us internally, yep, it's, you know, it's really pleasing, but it's not a total surprise because we see what they do day in, day out and, um, and the type of, you know, players and people they are. When you look at Jack Steele last week, David, I know he's coming back off the collarbone. It's, it's courageous in itself to, to get back so so quickly. How's he been this week recovering post getting back out into that competitive nature of AFL footy? Yeah, look, we, we said to him that if you had four weeks out of the game, regardless of whether you had an injury or not, you, you're probably going to come back and be a bit scratchy. And, you know, he, he and we acknowledge that. Um, he's pulled up really well, no problems at all with the shoulder. You know, as they say, he's going to be better for the run. So, you know, we're hoping for a big game from Jack tonight. So is he back to uh, just his game or do you make him run with Ollie Wines, for instance? No, he's just going to play his game. He's just going to play, play the, the game that we want. And, um, yeah, we're not probably, probably not giving him a role, but uh, we'll see how the game pans out. What are you looking to take away from, from Port Adelaide tonight in the way they play? Look, they're, they're a great team with a really good system. Uh, they're going to challenge us at times. But, you know, our, our mindset really has been with, with every week, uh, we want to take the team that we're playing right to the end and challenge ourselves that way. And, you know, if we can finish the game and say that we delivered on effort and we delivered on process, then whether the scoreboard's in our favour or not, um, you know, we feel it's going to be a step forward for us. Jack Higgins is having a terrific season. And just looking at his numbers, he's been targeted 31 times. To put that into perspective, Bailey Fritch has been targeted 19 times at Melbourne. So he's certainly a go-to man. No, he is certainly. And, and he enjoys that. He's got the sort of personality that, you know, likes that attention. Um, Jack's got real clarity around what his role is and what our expectations are within that role and and he's really enjoying you know the probably the yeah the responsibility that we're giving him in that forward line the transformation of Mason Wood to from a you know a a potential player to you know he'd be in the Australian team right now if it was picked uh, has been one of the highlights of the season absolutely you know we presented his uh his 100th game jumper today and the comment was made, like, the influence that he's had on some of our young guys, yep. um, you know, and, and sort of building their professionalism and their habits has been immense over and above what he's done for us on the field. And you're right, he's had an amazing start to the season. Outside of, outside of tonight, and, the, and I know Tim Memory was back last, last week, David, but where are those, those other senior-type players that you've got on your list with the injuries at the moment? How do they sit and when are they due back in the, uh, in the coming weeks? So we're hoping Zach Jones is going to play a bit of VFL next week. Uh, and then Max King and Jimmy Webster are both uh, down to play round nine. That's pretty, that's pretty important, isn't it? When you look at the, the draw you've got leading into the, the bye to, to really set yourselves up for having your best team out there in a, in a launch towards some finals footy potentially this season. Yeah, look, and, you know, with those guys, we just expect them when they do come in, and there's no guarantee that they're going to come in straight away because the guys who are there at the moment are doing a great job. But the expectation on everyone is you just come in and play your role and you provide, you know, extreme effort and get the job done. Dave, it sounds like you're already starting to tease it with these players that they might <laughs> come straight back into the senior team. Uh, yeah, look, you know, we, they've got to get through a couple of weeks of training first mm. and then we'll assess it, you know, how they're going and how we're going as well. But... Um, yeah, we're, we're really pleased with where all those three guys are at. Who'd be winning your best and fairest right now, David? Because there's a host of blokes having fantastic years. Yeah, it's a, a great question. Um, you know, Cal Wilkie wouldn't be far away. Yeah. Pro- probably Jack Sinclair, I, w- I would think. Um, but, you know, there'd be a, a pretty big pack close behind him, I'd say. 
And is, do you think Ross has got an extra 5 or 10% or 2% or 3% out of some of these players this year just because of his methodology? Yeah, look, I think, Dwayne, it's as much providing the players with real clarity. Um, and w with clarity, you know, they, these guys know exactly what their roles are when they run out and exactly what the expectation is around that role. And, um, you know, that, that gives them a real sense of surety and certainty. Uh, and that's what we're sort of seeing and that's what the players are feeding back to us, that the clarity is, is really big um, with where, how we're going at the moment. And is that response similar? You mentioned the assistant coaches earlier, but uh, having a look at, at them on ground at the moment, when you've got Enright, Hayes and, and Harvey, when they walk into the room, it demands respect instantly and, and, and obviously that ability to, to want to listen and learn from them. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, what, what they bring is some really high footy IQ and a great capacity to communicate to the players as well. And we see that every single meeting. Um, you know, the players love spending time with the assistant coaches uh, and we're, you know, we're obviously wrapped with what they're doing for us. Sounds like a pretty great club there at the moment. Dave, great to have you with us and good luck for tonight. Thanks, guys. David Misson is the GM of footy at the Saints. Just shuffled into that role late in the piece. It's good he was very right. late to the party, but uh, <laughs> I, I, think he, I think that was the... That was the direction he wanted to take his football life. So uh, it, it's worked out pretty well. They're pretty tight, uh, him and the coach. All right, we'll broaden out uh, the topics that spun out of the Anzac round and that sit there ahead of round seven before we come back to St Kilda and Port Adelaide. The teams are as selected. The subs, Riley Bonner is the sub for Port and Marcus Windhager is the sub for the Saints. This is the pregame show for Beaumont Tiles Trade. Provides specialist advice for Tylers. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders, for Australian agriculture and tyre power. Big Easter sale. You're listening to AFL Nation for Elders, for Australian agriculture and tyre power. Big Easter sale. St Kilda and Port Adelaide is the Friday night fair before us. Our Friday night presenting partner is Penrite Oil and your local Repco authorised service. Uh, we'll go through the, the selections, the way teams have landed uh, shortly. We, we might do that after the next break. But one that really caught the eye and is the subject of a lot of debate is Tom DeConan is not back for Carlton, so he's going to play in the VFL. This clearly is complicated by the fact that he's coming out of contract. Should it be? My opinion, no. It, it shouldn't be. It's a young man. He's out of form. Go back and it shouldn't determine whether or not he stays at Carlton or not, should it? The fact that he's been dropped for being out of form? Yeah, should, but does just that for come the hypothetical, who does, does that come into your mentality these days? For the hypothetical days? sake, Jono, who did Geelong give up for him then? <laughs> <laughs> because that'll be the question asked Really? Later. It'll oh, be Geelong. Who's going to get him? Who, who makes a play for him? I, I honestly am I'm, I'm staggered by conversations around this at, at this particular point. If you're a young player and you're dropped and you're out of form mm. and all of a sudden your thinking goes to, well, I'm leaving the club then. No, no, well, I'm not saying his thinking goes to, I'm leaving the club. But, I mean, when Peter Wright couldn't get a game for the Suns, we talked about it. It's not just a cult yeah, but, thing. But that was, that was consistently over a period of, period yeah, of time. Yeah, but when a player doesn't get a game, you ask, okay, where is he in the, in the overall plan? Yeah, I think well, the bottom line is this was discussion was being had before he lost form. This discussion was being oh. had at the you know over summer because he was coming out of contract yeah. and his first couple of games were okay, if not better than okay. So uh, he's a player that's going to be talked about for a long, long time. So it will be interesting to see what his family think, what he thinks, what his manager thinks, and the direction they take. Because he could go to one of half a dozen clubs, he could go and play with his brother, or he could uh, stick fat and stay with Carlton. Is this one of the problems that the Suns have had, is they they have continued to pick their team by who was coming out of contract yeah. and were hostage to that, <laughs> rather than actually coach the damn team for today and set your standards? Crazy. Yeah, well, the Suns have always you know, had that problem, and I, I guess to a lesser extent uh, the Giants, but the Suns... You know, they've, they've had a couple of uh, cracks at it and Rankin, you know, popped the balloon. Not completely. I think they've got a good group still there and I think Mark Evans has done a darn good job. But he's been restricted to a large degree because overpaying kids to stay. I mean, and we don't know whether they're staying at the present time because they're getting paid overs at the at the equivalent age of uh, of others if you're comparing them to others of the same age. So 
when they get to free agency, that's the that's the test. Does it when, put a cap on what Carlton can offer to Koning if if he's a borderline player? No, but you still he's still a lot to play at this season. He could he could end up having a back half of the season that yeah. that's that's brilliant. So and that's we're, the whole purpose of that, dropping him. Exactly now. right to to build that resilience for him and his career going forward. Um, as well, it's it's quite interesting, Jerry, because I sit there now and I go, okay, well, when I was dropped in, and I know it's a long time ago, but when I was dropped in my second and third year of footy, looking back now, it was the best thing for my career. Now, in the moment, you don't see it, of course, but when you've got that that ability then to look back on and you go, you know what, that taught me so much in regards to me as a person, a player, and the way to handle certain scenarios that you still you still then live. So, for him to live through this and get through it and then come out the other side and play positive footy and then be part of Carlton's future is exactly that. But it comes down to what's been thrown around at the moment. What you hear getting touted for, say, Ben Mackay from North Melbourne, it sort of just it blows my mind that, that you can be completely a player that has achieved not too much in the game, yet you can be getting, you know, these, these huge rewards for, um, you know, for, you know, potential that's not even seen yet. It is the, the market is bizarre in a way. Well, we've got, so many, we've got so many clubs looking for, you know, little bits, of, little final pieces in the premiership puzzle. I mean, Port Adelaide desperate for Mackay, if you listen to the rumours. They were desperate for uh, Radagalia, and they nearly got him, but <clears throat> Geelong, uh, you know, stuck to fat, and they've made a pretty good decision. As, I mean, Sydney are looking for, I guess, key defenders and rucks and... There's a lot of clubs needing a ruck right now, Dwayne. Well, imagine this time next year when we've got mid-season trade. Uh, how much will the speculation be elevated? Now, we're talking about it now and there's no mid-season yeah. trade period. Imagine round seven next year when the mid-season trade window is about to open and this happens. It'll be wild. It'll be out of control. The one thing the yeah, AFL need to do just on the back of this is they need to start getting an academy for ruckmen because we are running out of numbers. If you look across the competition, we are well and truly down on numbers. Is that because the 200-plus now is a key forward who moves yeah, unbelievably right. well yeah. or a key yeah. back? And the, the 200 centimetres no longer our, the ruckman in our game. Yeah, I mean, basketball would have a lot to do with it. A lot of the uh, best mm. athletes around the 200, yep. they're all playing basketball because they can go over uh, to the States and earn a squillion dollars over there. But they, we, we are running out of ruckman. Which is one of the reasons why we'll never get a last touch out of bounds rule because you, if you get rid of eight or nine boundary throw-ins a game, or might be more than that, then all of a sudden you don't need a ruck for a hell of a big portion of the game. Either that or the ruck role yeah. emerges or develops and Blitzarves becomes the ruckman. So is throwing the ball up going to be an advantage for the athlete or the, the big, tall, lumbering ruckman because it's not going to vary? Well, it depends on how much you rate the hit out. I mean, if, if the tall ruckman hits the ball down the throat of somebody and they continuously kick goals, well, then... He's going to be king of the jungle, but uh, we haven't seen that really ever. I mean, the best we're getting is about 18% hit out to advantage, whereas Blitzarves, he can run around the ground, and uh, English is the is probably got the mm. best of the both at this stage. It's that damage around the ground and, and what impact you can do on the scoreboard outside of the hit. I think that'll determine, Dwayne, too, whether or not they're allowed across the line once the ball's in the air, mm. and if they take that away, then it will be the athlete that gets the, or, that gets or the pure jump. always have an advantage over Finlayson and Blitzarves in that case then, because he's got the height, so height's going to be your advantage. Yeah, but you know, not, we're throwing it up straight, so therefore the, the more athletic player that can jump, mm. and, le, and that's what I'm saying, if they take out that you can't cross the white line, if you yeah. cross the white line, Max Gorn wins that every day of the yeah. week because of his smarts and his ability to use his body and, and stop that jump. But if they, if they take that out and throw it up and you just an athletic jump at it mm. off three or four steps, it's going to be the biggest jumper. Nick Natanui would thrive in that type of scenario. What are we seeing in Nick Dacos? I think we're seeing uh, a young, young star emerging who is in love with the game, who is highly developed. He's highly developed. And it, that left foot I saw that he hit up uh, Pendlebury with uh, was the first or second quarter. <laughs> It just brought back to me the inadequacies, I think, that we have in our development programs at the present time. I see the shovel handball way too much instead of the rocket handball because kids have been told under pressure, under pressure, you've got to whip it out instead of doing what they do in tennis. You hit the top spin, hit the top spin, and you do the exact right technique until the pressure comes. Don't do the abrogated technique as a kid. You do it as a... 27-year-old or a 22-year-old 
when you're in the heat of the kitchen, but you practice left and right to make sure you are 100% uh, gifted in both of those things to enable you to deal with the pressure. And if you look at that kick that Dacos did on his left, and I know I'm, uh, I'm jumping into another top, <laughs> if you, you can't kick that with your right foot. You can't kick that with a boomerang. He had to open it up and go bang. So what we're seeing is this highly skilled, highly developed young freak who can find the footy. And at this stage, Jono, no one's been able to well, put a handbrake on him. I'm starting to think that with what Gary Ablett Jr., in the game, I th- and this is going to be, and, I, and, I, and I'm still wrestling with it a little bit, but I think Nick Dacos could surpass a Gary Ablett Jr., who's the best that I have witnessed in that sort of Well, that he's certainly sort of well ahead as a 31-gamer. Well ahead. Well, he is. We know Gary got to that point after a few years and then went bang, yeah, and we did. went, wow, this is the, the best player that, that I've certainly seen from, from that sort of midfield role. And... Oh, Nick Dacos could, could well and truly surpass that. The other thing I think we're seeing is a bloke is just so popular. I mean, he's, everybody <laughs> he is, loves him. Yeah. I think everybody yeah. sort of, no one's going to say it publicly, but a lot of people are loving Collingwood. He plays, uh, the game that you, he plays the game in a way that you admire. The other thing is, and it's all right to say you've got to get to as many contests as possible, but there's an art to getting to the right spot. Yeah. in every contest. Yeah. So the great ball readers of the game have always got to the right spots and the poor ball readers of the game have always got to the wrong spots. So mm. Getting where the ball ain't. Yeah, and that's the, <laughs> that's the beauty of being... I'm not sure you can teach that, Jared. Getting to the right spot, reading where the ball's going to go off a pack, off hands, uh, the trajectory of the ball through the air, is that likely to go over the back or to the front or to the side? Uh, when it's rolling on the ground, is it likely to pop or not pop? I mean, all those kind of things. Can you actually teach that or do you have to have it in your psyche because you've been to so many no, contests and had the ball in your hand so often as a kid, you've just done it over and over and over again and you've learned it like a Cirque du Soleil performer who does one skill so well that they practice that skill but you couldn't do anything else in the world. No, nah, the, the very best and you, I've witnessed some, like the way Chris Grant used to, he knew the, the way the ball was angling down to the ground exactly where it was going to go to. Yeah. We've, we've all seen it with the star players that we've, that we've played with and, and, and watched for so many years. That's... That's something that's just natural to that particular person. And uh, Nick Dacos has definitely got that. The person that's missing out right now is Josh Dacos. Oh, he's, he's <laughs> no, Josh Dacos is having a terrific on? season. He's probably in the All-Australian <laughs> side as well. So yep. Peter ends up the third best Dacos yeah, in the end. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is unbelievable, isn't it, when, yeah. we, when we talk like yeah. that? But you're right about Josh Dacos. How he is he's just starring. Yeah. And I think he's loving the fact, too, that he just goes under the radar and all the tension goes to, goes to Nick. I'll be interested when they do put a hard tag on him. And it will come. It has to come. It may come on the weekend uh, when Ben Keyes goes to him. But Someone was on him in the forward line when he played forward in that last quarter last week. Someone was obviously assigned to him. It's <laughs> a good point. No, it wasn't a tag, though. I, I watched it. was uh, Redmond for a period of time. Right. And Redmond ran into the contest and left. He wanted the ball. He yeah, but that's the, the, that's the beauty of reading where the ball is going to go. Some blokes run to where yeah, the ball ain't going to go. Some blokes run to where the ball is going to go. No, but a hard well, tag you, doesn't move. He just it, he just stays stapled to your jumper. But you can also say this guy reads it better than I. I'll just go where he's going. But a, but a hard tag will beat him every now and then, and that that's actually going to be okay. I think of Andrew McLeod. He was that difficult to tag, and yeah. every now and then he did get beaten by by an opponent. Oh, forward but the next week, the opposition would do it, and they wouldn't get near him because he was just so good consistently at what he was doing. So, yeah, Nick Dacos will be beaten at different stages. But overall, he'll dominate. We'll run you through the changes for the rest of the round in a moment's time. Tomorrow's car is available today. A selected range of Hyundai Tucson's, including the powerful, fuel-efficient diesel. All-wheel drive models are in stock, ready to drive away. Tech driver Tucson to see why tomorrow wants its car back. I've heard uh, the Swans are thinking about bringing Kirk again. <laughs> when they play Geelong. <laughs> when this they play Collingwood. It's the AFL Nation the pre-game show for Beaumont Tiles Trade Specialists. <laughs>